Grace and peace to you from God our Father who created the world and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a couple questions for you. What is the biggest challenge that you face in your life right now? Or another question, what is the biggest challenge we as Holy Word face right now? And are there things in your life when you're thinking about these challenges that cause you to stress out or put you down? Or are you actually happy? And the real question to ask about if you're unhappy and stressed out and put down, or if you're happy, is why are you happy or unhappy? If you're happy, is it because you're getting your way and that people are listening to you and doing what you want and following your opinions? And if you're unhappy, is it that same thing, that people aren't listening to you, they aren't doing what you want, they're not listening to your opinions? And when we're unhappy and we're, we're not getting those, those people to do what we want, sometimes we manipulate them. We'll strategize and we'll push them to draw them out, to show them what we want and what we need. And in doing so, we, we're focusing on making ourselves happy. And the question we actually need to ask, but don't naturally ask it, is not what would make me happy, but what would make God happy? And we don't ask this question naturally until we meet Jesus, and then He turns our life upside down, He changes our heart and our perception, and we're filled with Him and His joy, and then we stop living to make ourselves happy and start living to make God happy, and so we can ask that question, God, what would make you happy? And in this book of Ephesians, Paul, when he's writing, the Apostle Paul tells you exactly what God wants, the answer to this question. And so I want you, as I'm reading this section of Scripture, this word that we have before us, to think about all your relationships, all your interpersonal relationships that you have. And I want you to try and put this word that we have before us, this section of Scripture, into one word. Think about how you would describe it with one word. We read from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6, and it's on page 9. And you'll have to start from the bottom and work your way up, just so you know. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, if you had to put that into one word, what was that one word that you thought of? For me, the word was oneness. All this is talking about oneness. And so, it's... Everything that you see, all those aspects of the community of faith that Paul has written out shows God's goal. And that's for you and him and you and each other to be at one, to have this sense of oneness. And Paul, he spent 
three years with this Christian congregation in the city of Ephesus, which is in Turkey. And now he's in Rome and he's under house arrest. And so in this letter to the Ephesians, he, he writes and he wants to tell them what this is all about. And as he writes, you can read the whole letter of Ephesians and you can do it. And I challenge you to do it today. It doesn't take you that long. You see that Christ is the head of the Christian church, the one true Christian church, and he's the head of the body of believers as we heard in the children's message today. And that Christ is supreme over everything. And then he gets to chapter 4, Paul does, and you, he centers down onto this oneness that God wants us to have. And then he draws a big circle around it so you cannot miss it in verses 4 to 6 about what this is all about. And I'm going to start then with verses 4 to 6. So listen there again. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Again, that one word that you hear over and over and over again is one. All this comes down to God creating and making this way that He wants it to be. This one way that we live in oneness with Him and with each other. And it's all centered on this one big personality. And here's the hard truth for us people to listen to. That one big personality, it's not yours. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. If you thought it was all about you, it's not. It's all about this one big personality and there's only room for Him and His name is Jesus. And when we forget about this, that it's not centered, or that it's all centered on Christ and what He did and what it's all about, we start focusing on our personality and we start overestimating how big we really are. And so then you're focused on yourself and what you want. You're trying to manipulate all these people to do what you want. And you're thinking that this oneness thing is about myself. And so you're, instead of dealing with people in gentleness and humbleness and everything else that Paul talks about, you start stomping around trying to make your opinion the one that's heard. Because in your mind, it's all about you. And that you deserve a little more recognition. Because you're the one that's worked so hard, you've put in all these volunteer hours, in your mind you're thinking, well, I've done all the work in my marriage, I've done all the work around the house, I've done all the work in my job and occupation, and here at church, I should get a little more recognition. And we all think that. And that your opinion should count for double, I know we've all thought that too. And it reminds me of a little child who, when he's just asked to do the small task of putting his dirty clothes in the hamper, turns around to his parents and declares, why do I have to do everything? But when we focus down on it, that personality, your little personality that you have, is looking at itself and it's filling its head up with all these things that it thinks it does and it matters and it's important and you're Self-confidence starts to inflate, and as your self-confidence inflates, the perception of reality becomes skewed. And so you're not seeing, actually, how little you are and how big Christ is and that there's only room for Him. But that's the beauty of this one thing. When you focus and you get, when you read the Apostle Paul's words, 
especially verses 4-6, to six, to see what this is all about, that it's Christ. And you see that it's what He did, and you see what it's all about, all these aspects of faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, one hope, one body, one spirit. It's all the same, and we have that because of what He's done. The whole body of believers shares one hope, that we will be with God, with each other in heaven. We all share one faith that Jesus came and died on the cross to take away our sins. We all have that one Holy Spirit that created that one faith that gives us that one hope and it all started from that one personality, Jesus Christ. And so when you read through verses 4-6, to you see that blood of Christ just saturated and dripping through each word that He brings forth. That His baptism connects you to Him and your baptism to Him. And He takes you where to be. And you see that Christ is the foundation. And if you're not so sure that God is very serious about this oneness, about how we're all centered around Christ and we find our unity and our harmony in this one Christian church that is Christ, You just have to look through other passages of the Bible. For example, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 that God is saying that His body of believers, the Christian church, is His temple where He dwells. And He doesn't want any divisions in there. And if you cause divisions in His church, He's going to destroy you. That's a pretty serious statement. And in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the Jews would go up to Jerusalem and they'd have these festivals, these worship festivals. And one of the songs that they would sing in joy and happiness and love and thanksgiving was this Psalm 133 that God inspired King David to write that says how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to live in unity and harmony. And and Jesus in John 13 gives us a new command that is to love God and to love one another. And by doing this, the world will know who you are. That you are a child of God. And you belong to this family. And so for oneness to exist among in the whole world between us and between God, between mankind and mankind, Christ needed to come and bridge that gap. And he did when he died on that cross and he stretched out his hands and he bridged that separation between God and man, so that now Christ has brought peace and harmony between God and mankind. And since there's oneness and peace and harmony between God and mankind, what does God then want His children, who He's called us to be, to live like? And how does He want them to act? And what does He want them to do? Listen to verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So God wants you not only to be in oneness with Himself, but He also wants you to be in oneness with each other. And for me, it's like what parents must want for their children. When when parents have children and they grow this family together, their goal and their desire is that their children and they live together in peace and joy and love, that everyone gets along, that we all become one strong family unit. And when they look back and they see this in their family, the the laughter, the joy, the togetherness, the support, they look and they feel satisfied. They feel accomplished. Like they accomplished their mission and what they were set out to do. 
But if that doesn't happen, if their family is full of discord and their children are distant and there's no support and there's strife and the parents must step back and they must look at themselves and say, what happened? What did we do? And they must feel like failures. And it's this kind of idea that we want to be this one strong family unit that what parents want for their earthly families is what God wants for us as His children too. That we live together as one peaceful family unit that's in the bond of unity. And we have this unique opportunity, especially here at Holy Word, because we have this two sites, one church philosophy where we're split up, yet we're one same church. And it gives us ample opportunities to practice this unity. But maybe, maybe you're one of these people that, isn't under the, that doesn't believe in this philosophy, so you're upset about it, and you're wondering why we do this and what's the point, and you're thinking that there should be a different way. And when you go back to what's really upsetting you, it's because it's not what you want. And so that question that you should ask yourself is, is this what I want only, or am I upset because this is destroying the unity of the body of Christ? Am I doing this for myself, or am I doing this to make unity between us? Or maybe you're on the flip side. Maybe you're thinking that we've gathered enough money, and we have this site at Pflugerville that we want to build, and we need to build so we can expand, and, we think, and you think we've gathered enough money, so why don't we just go start and do it? And it just seems like we're dragging our feet. And the question, again, to ask is, are you upset that we're not doing it because it's what you want and what you personally believe in? Or is this something that is going to work that you're so upset that you're trying to build the unity of Christ? You have to take a real hard look at yourself. And if it's this feeling that it's, you're not getting what you want that's upsetting you, then you really need to read Ephesians 4, 1-6. And you need to look in the mirror and you need to have it open and you need to read it over and over and over again because it teaches you what it's all about, that we are peaceful to each other, that, there are, that we live in harmony and in peace. And Paul says one more thing, that this unity that we're trying to create together, it's been given to us and we're able to do it through the Spirit But it's not just some magical thing that happens overnight. And that we need the right focus, that focus on Christ, so that we treat others with humility and peace. And then when we have this right focus, we're going to strive. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not like a fog that descends upon you on its own. It doesn't happen that you wake up and then all of a sudden there's candy canes and lollipops and cotton candy and ponies and just happiness and joy. No, it's something that you have to fight for and struggle for and take hold of. Think of it like at a wedding. There's probably some of you that have been to many weddings or some recently. And what happens in the reception The bride has her bouquet of flowers and she throws it back and there's all these girls waiting for it to come down and there's one girl that reaches up to grab it and then at the same time, what happens? Another girl reaches up to grab it and they grab it at the same time. 
So does the one, do both of these girls kind of say, well, you can have it, it's okay, you can fight, you can have it, I'll let go. Or do they hold on and fight and struggle and make sure that bouquet is theirs? Gloria, you're smiling, I feel like you know the answer. They make sure that that bouquet is yours. They make sure that it could get completely destroyed and they might have this little stem and they'll just say, yeah, I caught the bouquet, it was mine. That's what Paul is telling us Christians to do with this unity that he has bestowed upon us through his Holy Spirit. He says to take it in your hands and to grab it and to take hold of it and to make every effort not to let go of it. And so in your dealings with each other, make every effort to make sure that this unity that we share because of the blood of Christ does not disappear. And all that happens when we stay focused on who that one big personality is. It's not us. It's not our neighbors. But it's Jesus. So God wants us to stretch out our hands and live in peace and harmony with one another. God wants us to stretch out our hands and to build his church together. And now go to verse 1. Because I haven't talked about it yet. And as I read, I want you to think about what Paul calls himself and kind of how it's a creative picture and interesting might have to think back to something I said previously about how he's under house arrest. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So Paul was under house arrest, right? So he's in chains in Rome. Yet he calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. It's an interesting contrast in ideas and pictures there. And what he's urging and teaching and encouraging the Ephesians to do is to live in chains of Christ's love because he's in, in Rome under house arrest willingly because he knew he would get arrested anyways for preaching the gospel and he wasn't going to stop. So he went into house arrest and he's there by the love of Christ and he's encouraging those Ephesians to do the same, to live in unity and harmony and peace, chained to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And have you ever felt trapped? And I'm going to say that all of us at some point in time have felt trapped. And then have you asked yourself, am I trapped by the situation? Or am I trapped by Christ's love? And if you answer honestly, like I think we all could do, and say that we feel trapped by the situation, then read again Ephesians 4, 1-6 and remember what Paul was. Because Paul wasn't in chains in Rome because of Rome. He was in chains in the chains of the love of Christ. And so are you. You're not in your position where you are because you're trapped by the situation. Rather, God has placed you and has made you as someone in a situation who is trapped by His love. It wasn't nails that held Jesus on the cross, it was his love for you. And it wasn't chains that held Paul in Rome, it was the love of Christ. And so be trapped in your situation and you will be free. Or be, don't be trapped in your situation because you are free, because you are chained by the love of God. And as people see that, as you're living, and living this life worthy of the calling, because when you get that you're trapped by Jesus, you're going to be free of the situation and people see that, and they're, they're wondering what you have, and they want what you have, and they want this support system that you have, this family of believers that will always be there for you. 
And so they see through you that love of Christ. They see Jesus more clearly. Amen.